0: Uh, Let's get into the Word, shall we? All right, so we are in week eight of a series uh, that we've entitled Bewitched, The Good News Gone Bad. And we've been studying through this short book, The Book of Galatians, uh, which isn't really a book. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a young church in Galatia as they find themselves in the middle of a theological crisis. And uh, for those that are joining us for the first time, or maybe you've been out for a few weeks, let me catch us all up to speed so that we're all on the same page. Uh, we get that title, Bewitched, from our key text in Galatians 3, where Paul writes to the Galatians, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course you didn't. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect with your own human effort? Uh, Again, as a reminder, the reason that Paul is so frustrated here is because when he launched this church, when he planted the church in Galatia, he did so with the pure gospel of grace. It is not our actions, not our behavior, not what we bring to the table that saves us. Ultimately, it is a simple faith in the finished work of the cross. As Paul puts concisely in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it is by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God, not something we earn. Otherwise, we'd have a reason to boast about it. And after planting the church with that gospel, some Jews come in and they begin to propagate what he calls a perverted gospel, where they begin to suggest that it is our our actions, our behavior, following a a man-made list of rules that continues to keep us right with God, but he corrects rather aggressively in the book of Galatians to remind the church, guys, The same grace that saved you is the grace that is going to sustain you. The same faith that you put in the cross when you came to Christ is the faith you need to continue to place in the cross. Your actions, yes, we respond to God's grace by being obedient to his word, but you cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift from God. That is the simple gospel. And we've talked about that grace rather exhaustively for the last seven weeks, how to walk in it, how to receive it, how to make sure we don't abuse it. Uh, And if you've missed any of those, I would encourage you to go back and check out the messages, Uh, specifically last week where we dove into a slightly different topic as we studied through chapter three and chapter four of the book of Galatians, uh, where we talked a little bit about belief. Um, If you recall, for those that were in the room, we turned down the lights, you pulled out your cell phones, we went across like this as we sang the anthem of journey, don't stop believing, da-da-da, because Paul says in Galatians chapter three that if we believe, the same way that Abraham believed, then we will have access to all the same promises that God gave to Abraham. And if you weren't here, let me catch you up. Those three promises, they're good ones. (laughs) It is protected provision, it's deep roots, and it's a life of legacy. I've been praying those things over myself all week long. I've been praying those things over all of you this last week and it's powerful as we begin to declare these ancient promises that God has given to us now a couple thousand years later that we are still blessed to be a blessing, that he wants to plant roots deep down in this community and deep down in this city so that we won't be transient in nature but that we will be stable in our faith and that we would live lives that outlive us. That is the promise of Abraham over this community. So. Not to try to get you to go back and watch something I preached, but I really felt like that was a a message that, that charged up my prayer life. And I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it, maybe listen to it again, and begin to pray those things over yourself. It is powerful to pray out the promises of Abraham over our lives. Uh, Today, we are going to dive into the second to last chapter in this book, uh, chapter 5, as we begin to attack yet another topic that the Apostle Paul brings up here. And I think the section of Scripture we're going to to discuss today is perhaps one of the most important Scriptures in the New Testament, one of the most significant, uh, of course, not including the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus. And the reason I say that I think this is one of the most important pieces of Scripture in the New Testament is because it answers one of the most commonly asked questions of a Christian, and here's the question. How do I truly change? How do I sustain change in my life? How do I stop doing the things I don't want to do, and how do I continue to walk in the things that I know God wants me to do? I, I believe this with, the, with every fiber of my being, that there is a desire deep within the heart of every person who has invited the Holy Spirit into their life to live a life that is pleasing to God. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what I wanna do? I wanna sin it up today. I wanna feel guilty and ashamed by the time I lay my head on the pillow tonight. No one does that. There is a desire deep within every heart that loves Jesus to live a life that is honorable to God, to stop doing the things that we hate doing, to get some freedom, to get some joy, to live with some peace. But that desire is often unmet because we deal with this seemingly overpowering nature of sin. And Paul, he begins to tackle that tension a little bit here in Galatians chapter five. He addresses this tug of war between the flesh and the spirit, and he begins to coach us as to how we can truly continue to live changed lives. So I think this is gonna be helpful to us today. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians five, verse 16, um, otherwise we're gonna put this up on the screen. Paul says this. So I say walk with the spirit. Come on, let's say that together. So I say walk with the spirit and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Does that preach to anybody else today besides me? You're not free to do what you, want, what you know you want to do, but... When you're directed by the Spirit, you're under no obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and just in case I missed your sin, others like these. (laughs) Rather exhaustive list of sins there. Thank you from the Apostle Paul. Side note, real quick, just a little piece of uh, theological information for those of you who care. Um, When Paul uses this word sorcery, in the Greek, it is the word pharmacia. And it's actually where we get the word pharmacy. Um, In the ancient world, they understood that in order to do demonic things or to tap into the demonic world, you needed a bit of an agent to help you get there. And they always used hallucinogens along with their worship of foreign gods, their pagan revelry, and their sorcery. And so in the Bible, anytime you see the word sorcery, it is also talking about the use of drugs, THC included, anything that would be hallucinogen so that you could access the dark world. So if you're looking for a theology that backs up not using drugs, there it is right there, okay? Weed brownies, no good. Okay, moving on. The 9 o'clock service didn't laugh at that, which just means that this service has a little more experience in that area. Okay. (laughs) Paul says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, there's a lot there to unpack. We could probably spend six weeks just on this portion of Scripture, but I have 27 minutes. So we're going to focus in on that first line. I think it's probably the most important line in that entire text where he says, If you walk with the Spirit, you will not do what your sinful nature craves. So in keeping with our theme from last week and naming sermons after songs, since I had so much fun doing that, I thought I would continue today uh, in doing so. I need a prop for this before we play this next song so that I can give you a title. Uh, today's sermon is brought to you by the great prophet Stephen Tyler. And If you don't know who that is, this'll help. Okay, go ahead, hit it, maestro. And I want everyone singing because I was the only one singing at nine o'clock. It felt weird this way talk this way walk this way come on put your foot up on the seat in front of you walk this way talk this talk this way just give me a kiss yes you're welcome Laugh often is one of our values around here, one of our declarations. We will bring the fun to every environment we find ourselves in. As my good friend Jeannie Mayo says, when people are laughing, their mouths are open and you can feed them truth. Hallelujah, Hey. We're gonna call this one Walk This Way. Let's pray and get into it. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it has the power to transform our lives. And today as we get into this, this admonition from the Apostle Paul, I pray that it would become very practical to everybody in this room. Father, that we would walk out of this place truly knowing how to walk out to continue to sustain the change that you have made in our lives. Lord, we don't want to be slaves to the sinful nature. We want to walk with the Spirit. So teach us how to do that today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Um, the older I have gotten, the more I've come to appreciate the anecdotal quality of a good old-fashioned walk. Is there anyone around here that just kind of goes on some walks and enjoys walking around a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Something about a walk. I mean, if you'd asked me in my teens or my 20s or my early 30s, like, hey, let's go on a walk together. I'm like, isn't that what like, old people do? But something about getting older where I'm like, I enjoy walking. Like, walking is good for you. In fact, the experts tell us that walking has a number of benefits, both physical and emotional and mental. On the physical side of things, the experts tell us that a 30-minute walk every single day can accomplish the following. Increased cardiovascular and pulmonary fitness, Reduced risk of heart disease and stroke. Improved management of conditions such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, joint and muscular pain or stiffness, and diabetes. Increased endurance, and here's a good one, reduced body fat. Just a 30 minute walk every single day. And if that feels like an oversell to you, just go somewhere in the world where people walk a lot, like go anywhere in Europe or Paris or Venice where people don't have cars and they just seem to walk everywhere. And what you'll find is they can chain smoke all day long, drink wine like it's water, eat baguettes and pasta all day long, and they're still skinnier and healthier than the rest of us here in the United States. They actually live on average four years longer, till 82 when we die off at 78 here in the States. It's like, we're over here trying to like, you know, eat keto and cut carbs and drink White Claws just to stay skinny, and they're like, I'ma drink a cab and eat a baguette, and I'ma look great doing it. Like, okay, just a 30-minute walk, and that's all it takes. Uh, but the, uh, the physical benefits are a drop in the hat compared to the mental and emotional benefits uh, that come along with the same kind of 30-minute walk. Um, the writer, Deborah Regal, uh, in an article written in the Harvest, Harvard Business Review, uh, which I read, you know, all the time. <laughs> She says, walking is one of the simplest and most strategic things that you can do for yourself. A single walk can improve our sleep, our thinking, and our learning while reducing symptoms of anxiety. We go for a walk, we perform better on tests of memory and attention, our brain cells build new connections, staving off the usual withering of brain tissue that comes with age. We can actively change the pace of our thoughts by deliberately walking more briskly or slowly, and our attention is left to uh, meander and observe, helping us generate new ideas and to have strokes of insight. Simply walking, to to put it more candidly, walking can get you out of or keep you out of a funk. Anyone ever walked themselves out of a funk before? Yeah, my hand is lifted. Uh, Last year, my wife and I purchased a new car uh, well, we didn't buy a new car, we don't buy new cars. We let some other sucker deal with the depreciation and then we buy it afterwards and benefit from their misfortune. So we bought a used car that still kind of looked new. And uh, when we bought this car, like everybody, we wanted to keep the car looking nice. There's so something about like owning a new car where you suddenly become a different person. You're like, I'm gonna keep this one clean, all right? This is gonna be my, the new me, you know, new year, new me. And uh, it doesn't matter that, you know, you've left your other one in shambles before, but we're like, we're gonna do it this time, I promise. And so uh, we, we, uh, we started cleaning the car pretty regularly. I bathed it on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. I, I vacuumed it out. I made a little spot in the garage so it had a house for itself at nighttime. And I didn't let my kids eat in the back seat. And I reprimanded my wife for treating it like an extension of her purse and leaving everything in the car. All the husbands said amen. <laughs> I, I tried to keep it nice. I parked it in the back of the parking lots like my dad taught me so that you know some sucker didn't pull up next to the car and park three centimeters away and then jam their door into the side of it so they get 10 feet closer to the entrance of Trader Joe's. I did all the stuff. But about a month after we bought this car, my daughter, uh, after we had gotten home from a pursuit gathering one Tuesday night, Um, we had invited my family to come over for dinner, and my kids hadn't seen them in a little while because of COVID, Uh, and so uh, they were really excited to see their grandparents, and so I pull the car into the garage, and in her excitement, my daughter flings open the door, and she rams it up against one of the support beams inside of our garage, and as soon as she did it, like, you know that sound of like metal, you're like, (sighs) so I got out of the car, and I looked at the door, and sure enough, you know, there's a crease right there in the middle of the door, and I look at my daughter, and I'd love to tell you what happened next is that I exercised all the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> loving, joyful, oh, this is great. Peaceful, patient, kind. It's just a possession, it's gonna burn. I love you way more than I love a car. self control none of that happened. The opposite of all of those things. I had a bit of an aneurysm right there in my garage. I begin to scream and yell at my daughter and I can neither confirm nor deny that I either hit or kicked our blue recycling trash can in the garage, like, follow your pastor as he follows Christ, amen, okay. So as I, as I ream my daughter for hurting our new car, my wife interrupts this whole tirade and she's like, you stop it right now. She's like, you are not going upstairs and eating dinner. I'm like, what am I, a toddler? Back up off, man, I'm a grown man, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. <laughs> She says, You are not allowed to come upstairs. You need to cool off. Go take a walk. I said, Fine. <laughs> I tuck my tail between my legs. I have, have a tail because I got vaccinated. Um. <laughs> Sorry, too soon, too soon, too soon. <laughs> so I start walking around the neighborhood. And wouldn't you know it, after 30 minutes of taking a walk, suddenly I cooled down. I walked back upstairs. I apologized to my daughter. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. It's just a car. You're, well, you're not forever, but you're here for a long time. You'll be here longer than the car, so you know, Made everything good. What happened? My wife noticed that I was doing something I should not be doing, and her prescription for the problem was that I take a walk. And essentially, this is what the Apostle Paul is suggesting here in this text as well. He's saying, hey, Christians, those of you that have called upon the name of Jesus, if you find yourself doing some things that you know you should not be doing, the answer to your problem is not to try harder, not to beat yourself up a little bit more. No, the prescription for your problem is to take a walk. But unlike my wife, Paul makes it clear that this is not a solo stroll. This is not a walk you take by yourself. No, he makes it clear that we are supposed to be walking with somebody else if we truly want to live a changed life. Come back to what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, so I say walk with the spirit and you will not be doing what your sinful nature craves. Translation, if you don't want to act like an idiot in the garage in front of your daughter, you need to walk with The Spirit. If you're taking notes, write this down. Who you walk with matters. Who you walk with matters. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 13, he says, Walk with the wise and you will become wise. If you hang around fools, you will ultimately suffer harm. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. And Paul, again, says here in Galatians 5, hey, if you want to change the way you're living your life, you need to be conscious of who you're walking with. Who you're walking with matters. And if that admonition seems a little bit ambiguous, he continues on to tell us we don't need to wonder who we're walking with. It is no mystery who our companion is. Ultimately, according to Paul, we have to look no further than the fruit of our lives to determine who our companion is. Ultimately, our fruit will reveal who we're walking with. The outflow of our life will reveal if we're walking with the right person. If you walk with the spirit, then the fruit will be obvious. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if you're walking with the flesh, that will be obvious as well. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, weed brownies, it's all in there. (laughs) The fruit of your life will reveal who you are walking with. And he gives us these lists, rather exhaustive ones, for the purpose of assessing whether or not we're walking with the right companion. He's trying to make it as clear as possible so that we have an honest, a gut honest moment with ourselves where we look in the mirror, we look at the fruit of our lives and we ask, what is my life producing right now? What is naturally coming out of me? Is it the fruit of the Spirit, or is it some stuff that shouldn't be there? What is my life naturally producing? So as we begin to consider that question, let me warn all of us of a trap that many Christians, myself included, have fallen into as we look at texts like this, a trap that if we're not careful will cause us to misapply this text to our lives, It's important when we look at the scripture that we remember when Paul tells us about the fruit of the spirit, it is just that. It is a fruit. It is singular and not plural. He does not say the fruits of the spirit or the fruits of the flesh. It is singular in nature. One fruit, fruit of the spirit, fruit of the flesh. There's a lot of seeds in that fruit, but it's a singular fruit. It's a package deal. Now, that may seem... Incidental, it's not a big deal. Like, Why do we need to major on that and focus on that? Well, here's why. One of the greatest traps of the Christian is compartmentalization. Let me explain what I mean by that. We have the ability, when we see texts like this in scripture, because there are many lists like this, to begin to categorize our successes and categorize our sins and put them into these pretty little boxes so that we can paint a preferable picture of our spiritual condition that is ultimately inaccurate and it's deceptive. We like to make ourselves look a little bit better than we truly are, never having to come to grips with the fact that we might need to mature a little bit more than we realize. So when we get into texts like this in Galatians chapter five, here's how it works. We create some mental checklists. We're like, okay, um, well, Paul says here that uh, if I'm in the sinful nature that uh, idolatry, okay, I got none of those in my house. Um, hostility, I'm a pretty, you know, I'm not very hostile, uh, quarreling, okay, jealousy, I'm not a very jealous person, uh, dissension, I don't even know what that is, so I think I'm okay there, all right, uh, division, I don't get drunk anymore, I haven't been to some wild parties, okay, I think I'm doing pretty good, I mean, sure, I still have, you know, some, some lustful pleasures in my life that I indulge in, and I haven't surrendered my sexuality to Jesus, and my purity isn't quite there, but, I mean, I'm doing pretty good if we're grading on a curve. My good is outweighing my bad. That's ultimately the broken nature of our globe, of our world, that we think that ultimately if our good outweighs our bad, we make our way to heaven. It is void of grace. But when we compartmentalize, that's what we do. And we can do the same thing with the good stuff. Okay, uh, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in my life, so I'm pretty loving, you know. I'm joyful, I'm a happy, happy guy, peace. Kindness, goodness, I'm a faithful friend. I mean, patience, that's just not my personality. Self-control, I mean, depending on the substance we're talking about, yeah, I'm pretty controlled. See how that works? We compartmentalize our lives and we paint a picture that makes us feel like we're doing better than perhaps we truly are, which is basically the same as making all of these little fruits instead of realizing that they're all part of the same fruit. They're all part of a bigger picture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, there is no such thing as a good tree that bears bad fruit. And there's no such thing as a bad tree that bears good fruit. A good tree will always produce good fruit and a bad tree will always produce bad fruit. Ultimately, the production of fruit on your life is going to be consistent with your spiritual condition or maybe better said, based on what we're talking about today, the fruit of your life is ultimately going to be consistent with who you're walking with. If you're walking with the right person, the natural outflow of your life is to produce the good stuff. So, before we beat ourselves up and we start feeling guilty about the fact that there's some things missing from the good fruit list in our, in our lives, let me offer a little bit of reprieve in the form of a thought. What I've noticed in my life and the lives of others is that sometimes what we perceive to be an absence of fruit isn't necessarily an absence. It's just underdevelopment. It's there, it it just hasn't been fully developed yet. Explain what I mean. Um, In my backyard, we have a lime tree. I discovered today that it was a lime tree because when I said lemon to my wife this morning, she told me that it was a lime. So I promise I know the difference between the two and what drinks they go in. Just kidding. Okay, moving on. So yesterday I went out to my tree and I got a lime and another lime. Both are in different stages of their development. This is just a little guy. He's getting started on his journey. And this one's just about there. They both came off of the same tree. They are both exactly the same fruit. One is not less of a lime than the other, but they're in varying stages of their maturity. Same fruit, one's a little underdeveloped. In fact, when I go to my tree in harvest season, Some of them are gonna be larger than others. Some need to stay on the tree a little bit longer until the maturation process has completed, but that does not change their identity. They are still the same fruit, just in different stages of development. And as it is for the lime, so it is for all of us. Hey, let me remind every person in this room who is on a journey right now with Jesus, it's just that, it's a journey. It is not a sprint, it is a marathon. We are all still in process. You are being matured into the likeness of Christ according to scripture. None of us have arrived yet. Even the person who's singing at the top of their lungs with their hands lifted to the heavens in the middle of worship, God is still maturing them and developing them in the process. Hey, to those of you in the room who are beating yourselves up, going, gosh, I should be further along than I am right now, just be grateful that you're not where you're used to be, even though you may not be where you want to be yet, you are still being matured in the process. Pace is not your job. Pace is a God-only kind of job. Stop freaking out about the pace in your life and rest in the fact that God is still maturing you. You have one job. Your job is to stay planted in Him. He is the vine and you are the branches. And as long as you continue to walk with him, he will mature you in his timing. Pace is his job, not ours. And if we walk with him in time, what looks small and underdeveloped will eventually become the mature fruit of the spirit as long as we stay planted in him. But part of that maturation process is to look at this text. The whole purpose of this scripture is to look into what Paul is saying, look at that list, and allow it to provoke what seems to be a pretty obvious question. And if it hasn't become obvious over the next couple of moments, let me state it obviously. Paul is saying, as you look at these two lists, what do you see on your tree? What is your life naturally producing? Why? Because, What you see is revealing something to you. That fruit is telling you something. It's revealing who you're walking with. And if you don't like the fruit on your tree, then it's time to find a new walking companion. It's time to start walking in the spirit. Which brings us to the million dollar follow-up question. What does that mean? I think sometimes we read these scriptures and we're like, mm, that's so good. But <laughs> we have no clue how to apply it. Like we understand how important it is, but like, seriously, what does it mean to walk with the spirit? Like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm walking with Jesus. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? It's a bit of a nebulous term, isn't it? So so before we conclude. In order to do justice to this text, I feel like we need to demystify what it means to walk with the Spirit so that there is no doubt that we know what this looks like. So, so let me offer this. Again, note takers. When Paul says uh, to walk with the Spirit, he uses the Greek word peripeteo. Everyone say peripateo. Okay, um, let's try this. Just say pair of potatoes and then take out the S, okay? One, two, three. Pair of potato. Okay, that's a little bit better. Good. You know Greek. Good job. All right. And the word peripateo it means to live with or to regulate oneself to. To live with, not visit, or to regulate oneself to. In other words, to walk with the Spirit is not an every once in a while kind of occasion. It's not a, hey, I hang out with the Spirit on Sundays from 11 to (laughs) 1215. It's not, hey, in times of crisis, I call out to the Spirit, and I charge up my spiritual life only to disintegrate back down to where I was at before when everything starts getting good again. Now, to walk with the Spirit is a lifestyle. It is an everyday kind of thing. In fact, to simplify it even further, here you go. To walk in the Spirit equals your daily life with Jesus. And I know how insultingly simple that is. (laughs) Like, really? That's your big (laughs) punchline. Daily relationship with Jesus. You're three years old and that's about as deep as you get. That's about as deep as a Dixie Cup, Pastor Tim. Come on. Walk with Jesus, daily relationship. Here's what I love about the gospel. It's not complicated. It's not a complicated order. The gospel is simple. Jesus does not make it hard. He does everything through relationship. Hey, if you want to change, it isn't 17 hoops and nine classes and, you know, do this. and do, It's just walk with Jesus every single day. And as we walk with Jesus in relationship every single day, our lives will be completely transformed. It's literally that simple. So, so let's simplify it further to put the proverbial cookies on the very bottom shelf. Daily relationship with Jesus is the basic stuff. It's the stuff that all of us know we should be doing, but not all of us are doing on a regular basis. And then we get frustrated when we're not making progress in God. Walking with Jesus looks like having a prayer life every single day. It's in prayer where I cast my cares upon him because I know that he cares for me. It's in prayer that my anxiety leaves because it says be anxious about nothing, but then pray about everything. And when you pray, thank God for what he's done And then tell him what you need. you know that God already knows what you need before you ever ask him? And yet he still gives us permission to tell him what we need. Why? Because he wants to have a conversation. He wants to be in relationship with you. It's in prayer where we repent of our sin and we ask for forgiveness so that there's nothing keeping a barrier between us and God. It's in prayer where we wait on his voice and he gives us direction about where he's calling us to go. It's in those intimate moment of prayer, moments of prayer where we yell at the sheetrock in the ceiling when we're going through a rough chapter, but God even accepts that in the middle of our frustration as conversation between us and the divine. And listen, you do not need some kind of old King James poetic prayer life for God to hear you. Don't let that weirdo on TV freak you out, all right? Like, thou is God art f- fun and awesome and super neat. Like, oh, no, you can just pray in your own voice. You can yell, you can cry, you can scream. You might even be able to cuss a little bit and he will still hear your prayers because a broken heart he has yet to deny. A cry in the midst of a difficult season he has yet to deny. He bottles up every tear. He wants to hear you. When I pray, I walk in the Spirit. When I worship, I walk in the Spirit. When I turn up, That song, that jam that gets me singing at the top of my lungs every single time when I hear it, that one at church where you start swaying a little bit more and your hands are lifted a little bit higher, that's not just reserved for this room, that's for your bedroom, that's for your car, that's for your living room. It is in worship where we employ heaven to go out and do battle on our behalf. It's in worship where heaven touches earth and every demonic force has to bow down at the name of Jesus. It's in worship where we magnify the Lord, as it says in Psalms. Not that he gets bigger, but we see him for who he truly is. And we see how good and great he is. And all of our problems seem to get a little bit smaller when we magnify the Lord. And you don't need smoke and lights and a drummer. Drummer helps, but... You just need a a faint cry, volume on two. Even if you have no voice to speak of, even that is pleasing worship to God when it's offered up in spirit and in truth. When we worship, we walk with the spirit. When we read the word every single day, we walk with the spirit. How does God speak to me? How do I hear his voice? You got a whole lot of it right here. It's when we read the word that it begins to read us and it cuts to the center of where we're living and suddenly we begin to get direction and conviction and God begins to address specific areas of our life and we're like, I didn't know that reading a book could change my life. I've already read it 10 times, but yet every time I read it, it's like it speaks to me from a new angle and it addresses a new area of my life and of my heart and we need to be in the word every single day. Hey, you wanna overcome temptation? You know how Jesus did it? It is written. Do you know what the word of God has to say about your situation? This is the sword of the spirit. You've been given this as a weapon to fight against your adversary in the midst of a difficult time. It's the word of God. And there's a reason that Jesus called it the daily bread. It's because you need it every single day. You need to eat of the word every single day. This is not enough. I think church is great. But one meal a week you will not survive you try to eat one meal a week it's only a matter of time before you become emaciated and die off and that's where many people are living in the spirit especially considering the fact that most people in the father's house do not come to church every single week they come every three weeks or six weeks so we're eating every month or month and a half and we're wondering why we're withering away in the spirit to further prod Even when we do come, many of us show up 20 or 30 minutes late, so we've missed the first three courses of the meal, and we're spiritually famished. I'm sorry, that's mean. I'm going to just go ahead and just back off a little bit. Don't think we don't see when people log in with those systems out there, all right? We know who you're at. I'm just kidding. I love you. Everyone smile at me for just a moment. It's the basic stuff. It's the simple day-to-day stuff, walking with the Spirit that transforms our lives. Ask any person in this room. Ask CJ, who's a man of God up there, how he's seen change in his life, daily walking with the Spirit. Ask Bob and Peggy, who've been believers for a long time up there. Apparently all the mature believers hang out up there in the rafters. Ask them how they've sustained change in their life. They walk daily with the Spirit. Hey, Edgar. You want to continue to see change in your life after you've been water baptized? You're a new creation today as you got up out of those waters. You want to continue to walk that out? Daily relationship with Jesus. (laughs) Students, you met with Jesus a couple days ago at a conference? You want to walk out that change and not go back to the way you were before? Daily relationship with Jesus. It's the basic stuff. If we walk with the Spirit, we will not Produce the lust of the flesh. We will not fall into those temptations any longer, but we'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one more thought before we conclude, and as we do, the man will come. But I think, it's, I think it's vitally important that we remind ourselves of another truth that Paul shared in this text, because after he told us to walk with the Spirit, he reminded us that while this might be simple, it is not easy. Hey, this is a, this is a challenge to walk with the Spirit every single day. And he speaks to that here to remind us that this is gonna be a challenge. This is gonna be a fight. Look at what he says again in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly, constantly, every day, fighting against each other so that you are not free to carry out your good Intentions. Last thought. Walking is a fight. It's a fight to pray every single day. It's a fight to be in the word every single day. It's a fight to get into the house on Sundays. Especially if you got kids to get there on time. Come on, somebody. Dragging my kids out of bed. It's a fight. But it's a fight that's worth having. L- let me... Remind us of an inconvenient truth. And I don't mean this to depress anybody, but I would be remiss if I did not remind us of what Paul reminded us of here. Your flesh will never stop fighting. This is gonna be a fight until the day you meet Jesus face to face. Whoever told you Christianity was easy and everything got a little bit better after that and easier after that, they lied. You signed up for a battle when you signed up to follow Jesus. Hey, not to depress you, but that temptation is probably going to be your temptation for the rest of your life on this planet. The things that try to trip you up now are probably gonna to try to trip you up in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they're not going away. And, and again, I'm not trying to tell you this to like depress you, but if we don't remember this, we're gonna be waiting for a day when the temptation to overdrink or overuse or lie or look at that website or whatever your particular proclivity is, we're gonna be waiting for a day for that thing to disappear, and that day is never going to come Because this thing is a fight. It is a fight to walk in the Spirit. In fact, the only time God takes temptation away from us, according to scripture, is when that temptation is one that we cannot bear. It says in 1 Corinthians, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Translation, if that temptation still exists, you are able to overcome it. There is a fight that is still on the inside of you, and God acknowledges you can do this. And how do you fight? You walk this way. You walk with the Spirit. You have a daily relationship with Jesus and you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Walk with the Spirit. Now, I think there's two different kinds of people in the room and I'm gonna pray for one, but I wanna acknowledge the other one first. I think there's some of us here today as we hear this, we're recognizing that we have maybe not kept pace with the Spirit. It says at the conclusion of Galatians chapter five, so stay in step with the Spirit. Another sermon for another day, we'll be talking about it in a series on the Holy Spirit in the fall, but the Spirit is moving. And sometimes we're just not keeping up with where He's going. And I think that there might be some believers here today who love Jesus and have made a decision to follow Him, but they're lagging a little bit behind the Spirit. Hey, it's time to get back in the Word. It's time to recommit to waking up early and meeting with Jesus. It's time to worship over your problems and worship in your living room and worship in your car again. It's time to get serious about walking. That's your to-do. That's your practical application for this sermon. But then there's a second group of people today who need to take the first step on this journey with the Spirit. They need to enter into this relationship. If it is a daily relationship, you need to start that relationship with Jesus today. And I wanna pray with those of us who would say, Tim, I don't have that relationship with God today. Or I did a long time ago, but I've been at a distance. And I know I need to step back into relationship with him. If that's you, God got you here for a reason today. That's why you're sitting in this room. Because he wants to engage in that relationship once again. So don't miss this moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that is you this morning, I'm going I'm to lead you in a very simple prayer. But before I pray that, I, I would love to, to see who I'm praying with. I think there's something so powerful about physically acknowledging, hey, that's me and I'm starting my relationship with Jesus today. So before I lead you in that prayer, if you're here and you're far from God and you need to get things right with him before we leave this room, would you just quickly look up at me and lift your hands so that I know who I'm praying with today? Thank you, sir. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yes, right over there. Yeah, right there. Woo, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. All right, you can put your hands down. Man, there's a lot of people coming to Jesus at this service, hallelujah. All right, I'm gonna pray this. You can just pray it right there in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving your life for mine. I make a decision today to follow you, to start out this walk. Forgive me of my past. Give me a hope in a future. Help me to be your disciple and to walk in your ways from this day forward until that moment where I see you in heaven, you look me eye to eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy that has been set before you. You have all of me today and I receive all of you in Jesus name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just give a shout today for all those making a decision? Oh, that's good.